Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Fast Charge. Very special in the sense that none of us are available tomorrow, i.e. today, when you're watching this. So we're not doing this live, we're recording it yesterday, i.e. today. Uh, I am joined this week by <laughs> Lewis and Toddy as ever. You can tell it's the summer because Lewis has broken out his fried chicken hat, that classic <laughs> seasonal item of clothing. You know, no. it is the season. Yeah, it is, it is the season for fried chicken, I fried guess. Chicken. Unless you're in Japan where Christmas tis the season for fried chicken. Um, so it, it, it actually so works right. year round, really. So I don't know why it's a, it's a summer hat, but there we go. Uh, anyway, we are also joined this week by Aniron, uh, who is repping as our resident Windows 11 expert, because, spoiler, we are going to be talking about that. Uh, so this week's show, we are going to kick things off talking about Samsung's reveal of One UI for Watch, uh, the sort of first glimpse we've had of the software that Samsung has been working on with Google for its upcoming smartwatches. We are then going to turn to Qualcomm Snapdragon 888 Plus, that kind of mid-cycle refresh of its flagship chipset, and talk a little bit about some of the phones that have already been confirmed that are going to use it. And then finally, Windows 11. Uh, we got stung by the worst possible timing for a live show last week in that Microsoft unveiled Windows 11 simultaneously to the show. So there was absolutely no way we could discuss it on last week's show. Uh, so instead, we are here with it a week late, we know. But that means we've got the time to really delve deep into the Android app integration, which was kind of the big surprise announcement of the show. Uh, and actually, as of last week, when Microsoft announced it, we had more questions than answers about how Android was going to be integrated into Windows 11. I'll be honest, we still have more questions than answers, but the <laughs> ratio has shifted ever so slightly in the subsequent seven days. So we do know a little bit more than we did last week for anyone who watched Microsoft's event at the time. Uh, before that, let's run through a few other little bits and pieces from the week that was. Uh, first up, uh, in a kind of really consistent theme, very on brand, nothing Carl Pei's new OnePlus offshoot has announced nothing yet again, but we finally know when we will have something. Uh, they have said that on the 27th of July, nothing will announce something, specifically the Ear One <laughs> headphones. The headphones they've already announced, but they're going to now properly announce them, like reveal them, and they've announced that they're going to announce them on the 27th of July. <laughs> if you're still with us, great. I'm not anymore. I've completely lost track. <laughs> but we've only got a month to wait to find out what on earth is actually going on with this company. Uh, actual headphones, end of July, then we will know what is what with nothing. Also, around the same time, that's going to come a little bit before, but we are now... So leaks around the Galaxy Z Fold 3 and Z Flip 3 have kind of coalesced, so I thought it was worth revisiting them. Uh, but we now feel fairly certain that we are going to get a Galaxy Unpacked event on August 3rd. We'll talk about that a little bit later because that kind of ties into the Galaxy Watch stuff. Um, but I just wanted to kind of touch on that because this week has seen loads of fresh leaks on the Z Fold 3 and the Z Flip 3. Uh, we'd seen very low-res images of the phones before from some Samsung marketing materials, which led to some high-res fan-made renders. But now we have actually had leaked promo materials for both phones. So you can actually, if you go and look them up, you can basically see 
what both of these flip phones are going to look like. We can see the actual official colors they're gonna come out in. Very good look at the design. Obviously it's all unofficial. It could all be completely wrong, but it, it, everything is pointing at the same designs right now. So it seems very likely that we now know what these phones are gonna look like. Very strong idea of the specs and very strong idea that we are gonna find out everything on August 3rd, which is cool. Uh, another set of rendered leaks also came from OnePlus. Uh, the OnePlus Nord 2, which is the proper follow-up to last year's Nord, as opposed to the Nord CE 5G that we spoke about recently. Uh, the Nord 2 is expected sometime in July. Uh, and again, we've now actually had a render of the phone appear. It looks a lot like the OnePlus 9 in terms of the effect they've gone for. Not too big a surprise there. In a way, last year's Nord took after the 8, so it's not too weird that the Nord 2 would take after the 9. Um, I'm... I've got to admit, I'm personally a little disappointed because I didn't really like the look of the 9 and the 9 Pro. It was one of my kind of bugbears with this year's OnePlus phones. So I'm a little sad to see that the Nord 2 skews very close to that same aesthetic. But a lot of other people liked, it, liked them a lot more than I did. So that's what the Nord 2 probably looks like. Uh, next up, Microsoft. Um, again, we're going to talk more Microsoft later, but... Xbox Cloud Gaming has finally officially launched on something that isn't an Android phone. Uh, and I know Android phones are really our bread and butter here, but we do talk about other stuff sometimes. And Xbox Cloud Gaming, what used to be Project X Cloud, is now officially available on both Windows PC and on iOS and iPadOS, so iPhones and iPads. Uh, the caveat to that, you may remember from us talking about it before, it only runs through a web browser on anything other than Android. So there's no, there's no iPhone app. There's not even weirdly technically a Windows app for it. It's all actually browser-based for the moment. That is going to change at least on the Windows side, though on the iPhone side it is still all going to be browser for the foreseeable unless Apple changes its mind. But if you want to stream Xbox games to your iPad or a low-powered Windows laptop, you now can. So that's quite fun. And finally, uh, Infinix, a smartphone brand I'm not sure we've ever spoken about on the show before. Um, they're one of the sort of less well-known Chinese manufacturers. I reviewed one Infinix phone last year. I'm got to admit, I cannot even remember the name of the handset I reviewed. Uh, but I think it was just the Infinix 8. Maybe. I think that's the, that's the name. That feels right. Yeah, oh, okay. possible, yeah. possible. <laughs> uh, anyway, they have actually made head headlines this week, uh, unexpectedly, by unveiling the Infinix Concept Phone 2021, uh, which is notable because it has 160 watt wired charging. Uh, as always, fast charge, we do have to talk about silly fast charging. Uh, they claim that it can fully charge the phone in 10 minutes, which is very impressive. Uh, we have seen phones that can do sort of 15 minutes before, but I think 10 minutes might be a record. Uh, there is a caveat. We haven't seen this phone ourselves, but I know sort of a few other people out there have, and some of them have tested it and not hit the 10 minute mark that Infinix claims. Uh, I, I have to admit, I haven't checked every single person who, who got one of these, but uh, I know, for example, the tech chap got hold of one and it did not do a full charge in 10 minutes, despite Infinix saying that that was the whole the raison d'etre of this phone. Uh, so it may not be quite as exciting as the headline numbers suggest. Um, but still, this will be interesting if Infinix is actually throwing money into R&D and actually trying to become a big player and doing interesting novel tech uh, rather than just targeting the mid-range budget space they've been in up until now. I mean, also there's there's the fact that the back design is 
very ridiculous and it plays into the whole charging design so when you plug it in instead of a little led the whole kind of center back of the phone like from the usb up the back runs and it glows green and it looks ridiculous and over the top like a gamer phone even though i don't think they're billing it as a gamer phone specifically but that's that's cool and that's, it stands that's out probably why it doesn't hit the 10 minute time because so much power is diverted <laughs> to this glowing light bank of leds <laughs> in the back yeah probably uh yeah i mean this is this is a concept phone so this isn't an infinix phone you can go and buy with this charging tech uh but yeah like i said maybe this is a sign that infinix are actually going to move into the space where they they start pushing for for serious flagship stuff and and pushing tech forwards so one to keep your eye on maybe uh okay let's turn to our first big topic of of the day and really i think for the sort of mobile space this week's big news which is samsung unveiling one ui watch this was basically the single major announcement of MWC 2021, I guess, other than the Snapdragon 888 Plus, which we're coming to next. Um, but yeah, this was technically an MWC announcement. Normally happens in February. The trade show got moved this year because of COVID. Uh, but with that move, it did lose almost all of its normal sort of consumer tech presence. So not a huge lot of interest for us. But Samsung did hold an online event where they talked through what they call the future of smartwatches, uh, which in this case, basically meant they talked about the software that will replace Tizen on its watches and which it has to some extent or other co-developed with Google. Um, though we're still kind of waiting to see the ins and outs of that. Uh, Toddy, you watched the launch live. Do you want to give us a brief rundown of what, what they showed off? Yeah, they, the, the post before the event kind of teased that they were going to take us through a whole host of things across their ecosystem. They did that, but everything they showed pretty much was just stuff that already exists in the world and is, is existing technology that people can use now. They had a whole section on Knox and stuff like this. The smartwatch stuff was definitely the most exciting, but even that was pretty piecemeal new information. A lot of it just kind of retread or expanded upon what they uh, mentioned in the initial announcement at Google I.O. back in May. Um the one UI watch name was probably the biggest reveal specifically. Um, but there's been some, some kind of confusion around the naming versus the platform that Google and Samsung are working on together. Mm. That still seems to just be being called the platform. And one UI watch is specifically for Samsung's upcoming watches that are going to be using this fused platform. So one UI watch is how their experience will look on their watches, but it won't be how it will necessarily look on these other watches that Samsung has helped develop this platform for. So that's still just going to be called the platform or where as a generic yeah. floaty term. I mean that, one UI watch. That, yeah, that's where so. that's worth dwelling on just for a second, I think, because yeah, th this was all first teased at Google I.O. And Google basically came and said, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing the next generation of where and we're doing it with Samsung, and also Fitbit's going to help a bit because we own Fitbit now. Um, and that was kind of all Google said. They didn't really dwell on what, what the next generation of Wear would be. They just said it was coming. Samsung was heavily involved. And then Samsung teased this event, and I think also they previously said that we would see this software on the next generation of Galaxy Watch. So we kind of knew Samsung was going to you know, pick up the baton now in terms of unveiling this, this software. And so definitely, I think going into this event, my expectation was Google got the first announcement that they were collaborating. Samsung was getting weirdly to unveil Wear OS 3.0 or Wear or whatever you want to call it. And that hasn't really happened. What we've seen is One UI Watch. And we are still waiting to see what 
the Google branded version of that will be, which is then what will appear on fossil watches and all these other manufacturers that kind of that use it like they use Wear OS. Um, so there's still a lot yeah, of the, questions the inter- left about what generally this oh, Google sure. watch platform looks like. Yeah, the, the interface they showed off was only in the form of like graphic design, kind of like analogous imagery. It wasn't like actual screenshots or screen recordings of a demo watch or test hardware running this new experience. Um, the main idea being, though, that, you know, it's being called One UI Watch because it actually looks and responds similarly to One UI on the Samsung Galaxy phones and tablets. Um, so that's like kind of things like icon shape and notification shape. Uh, some of the watch face stuff they showed off, because another thing they're doing is um, improving their watch face creator tool and making it kind of more widely available. So those who have made Wear OS watch faces will also now easily be able to make Samsung One UI watch faces as well. Watch watch faces, if you will. Um, uh, but it looked like Tizen based on those watch faces, whether they were just existing faces that we just already have on the Galaxy watches or whether that was like hints of the new watch faces of whether there's anything inherently new it was hard to say um but they were talking about the fact that you know these are going to be more complex and rich experience like watch face experiences that you can have or create if you are that way inclined um they also talked a lot about the kind of interplay between phone and watch which isn't something that we it's right it is something that we've seen in varying degrees from watch os and ios and and wear os as well to to an extent um but it's you know the idea that if you automatically if you download an app on your phone that has a watch companion app that'll just auto download to the watch um stuff like if you're in the clock app on your galaxy phone and you have the world clock for like korea and london and new york those will automatically sync over um if you block calls or numbers from your watch that'll sync back to your phone that's all they really showed in terms of functionality. Um, the other thing they did talk about was compatibility. So the next Galaxy Watch, they never called it the Galaxy Watch 4, is going to be the watch where this experience debuts, but they are bringing it to every previous Galaxy Watch. So the gear line is out, but as far back as the 2018, August 2018, original Samsung Galaxy Watch onwards should receive this bump to One UI Watch, which is nice. Um, and they've said, you know, like they have with their phones, they're offering three years of support on Galaxy Watches from their respective launches, which I think means that the 2018 Guess this one. Galaxy Watch might get the jump <laughs> yeah. to One UI Watch, but then won't get any software support after 2021. So you better hope they um, get it like right first time because they're going to drop this new yeah. software on. It's going to be filled <laughs> with bugs and then they're going to like wipe their hands of it. Like, <laughs> we're done. Yeah, if you it's got like your a OnePlus Watch experience. Oh no. <laughs> we did a great thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, I think that that seems to be the consensus as to what they mean by that, unless they just mean from One UI Watch's release. Uh, but that didn't, it didn't seem to be the way around that they were phrasing it. So, I mean, yeah. it must be, uh, you know, it's that whole thing. They're saying a minimum of three years. I assume for that first Galaxy Watch, they will uh, drag themselves a little bit over the three-year line just to make sure they don't ship it with something broken. I but it, think it they probably should. means they'll get that first <laughs> version of One UI Watch bug fixes, and then and then nothing, nothing meaningful beyond that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the only other stuff they really mentioned was stuff that we kind of, they touched on during the, the Google uh, IO event. So like expect better power efficiency and performance by about 30% from apps and experiences running on one UI watch on this new platform. 
um and and stuff like that but yeah it was it was pretty slim pickings Mm -hmm. but it was something to kind of take the story forward one more step in us getting the uh the galaxy watch which they you know as you mentioned about the the Z flip stuff that leaked this week um they did confirm it's going to be featuring at unpacked this summer uh, which is expected to be early August, August 3rd, I think you said. Yeah, it? so August 3rd is the main date that a few people have said. Actually, just the yeah. other day, one of the leakers who'd originally tipped August 3rd, uh, Frontron on Twitter, um, they actually changed their tune and said August 11. So everyone else still seems to be saying the 3rd, and I don't know. So so it may be shifting around. Maybe Samsung hasn't actually ironed the date down exactly. But either way, I think there's almost unanimous agreement among the leakers that Unpacked will be early August. Um, and from the sounds of things, it will be a big one. We are expecting Galaxy Watch 4 line, and I'm going to come back to you in a second, kind of what we, you know, the, the brief, what we know of that so far. Um, but also, yeah, the, the Z Fold 3 and the Z Flip 3, and probably the Galaxy Buds 2, um, the sort of follow-up. I, we've had the galaxy buds plus and the buds pro and the buds live since we had the original galaxy buds but uh, a few years on we're finally getting an actual galaxy buds 2 apparently uh the one we won't be getting the big launch um is the s21 fe that is no longer expected in august for a while it had been tipped there but i know we've mentioned before everything is pointing towards that now being quite substantially delayed uh i think october's the latest reckoning on the s21 fe um, but yeah, so the watches, I guess, obviously Samsung focused on the software side. Maybe we could briefly talk about what we do know hardware-wise. Um, we're expecting at least a few Galaxy watches this, this summer, right? Two or yeah. three models? I think it was kind of extrapolated from the battery sizes that went through certification that we are expecting the same casing sizes. So I think it's 41 or 45 or, or somewhere around there. Uh, for the Galaxy Watch 3, that's going to translate to the 4. Um, there's More recently, there's actually been ambiguity around whether the Active, mm. which is the variation on the standard watch, is going to launch alongside the 4 or come later. But there is talk of both a standard model and an Active model. Um, we saw renders, which we touched on at the start of the news section last week, um, which were in relation to the Active. Uh, it looked like the existing Galaxy Watch Active 2, which came out in 2019, I think it was, Um the exception being it's a little bit more kind of harder edges and kind of squared squared off um, geometry. Uh, but other than that, it looks pretty much the same, just like slightly new colors and that kind of stuff. Uh, we're looking stainless steel body. There might be a titanium version, 2.5D glass. Um, talk of a new chipset. We don't know what that's called, but a new five nanometer chip, mm. which would be cool because I think right now we're on a 10 or 12 10 nanometer in the Watch 3. So that would be a notable yeah. leap forward in terms of power efficiency which could be huge you know paired with the software side with the os side you know and the improvements they've already talking about there so you know huawei with the huawei watch 3 pushed that their watch can go for like up to three days in full smartwatch mode which is better than say the apple watch or the galaxy watch as is um this could do that or better potentially with with these improvements so it's kind of going to be interesting to see um, just how that combination works together once they actually have a product to release. Yeah. Um, on the naming note, I think one of the speculation I saw after after the active were cast in doubt, uh, I can't remember mm. which leak it was, but someone was suggesting that 
what everyone thought was the new active is actually going to be the regular Galaxy Watch 4. And what everyone right. thought was the regular Galaxy Watch 4 is going to be billed as the Galaxy Watch 4 Classic or something to that effect. And that it's just a branding shift kind of in how they're, yeah. they're pitching them and they're going to drop the active brand. Uh, but still, really, they're going to sit in the same space relative to one another. I mean, I took umbrage with the active brand previously because in my head, active means a rugged or yes. you know suitable for outdoor watch. And it was like the least protected, very elegant and <laughs> yeah. slim piece of tech that you catch it on like a wall and the screen is going to spider crack in like two seconds. So, yeah, that seems like a smart move if they're going to, you know, hang up the active yep. hat for now. Uh, and then pivoting mm-hmm. back uh, away from hardware and back to the software side, uh, one last thing before we move on. Um, mm. What do you think? Oh, Samsung is talking about Samsung. It's talking about One UI Watch. And like we said, we didn't. This wasn't a Google event. This doesn't tell us what we're going to see in in where. Um, what do you think this does? Kind of hint at that we might see in where. What What do you kind of think of the elements of this Samsung reveal that maybe suggest what we're going to see? in general across these this next generation of Wear software that's not Samsung specific? I mean, they, they did have a Google rep talking at, at their Samsung's MWC event. So we do know like a few things for sure are like, these will all run on Google Play Store on wrist. So all the apps will be coming from the Play Store. Um, I don't think there's going to be a separate, like on the Samsung watches, I don't think there's going to be a separate app store for those watches specifically as well. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike on their phones where you do also have the Galaxy Store. Um, that doesn't seem to be how they're going along with it. Um, and, and that suggests features like the, the, the App Sync should be kind of universal then. Exactly, yeah. If you walk that back, yeah, App Sync um, and and the the control as well, so like blocking numbers and, and as well as, you know, in-app custom choices like those international clocks, for example. Uh, another thing they did touch on both times um, at both Google I.O. And, and MWC has been their uh, relationship with carriers for eSIM integration. Mm. So we could see a sudden uh, uptick in watches with eSIM. We have kind of slowly seen that with companies like Movoy pushing it with the TickWatch line. Um, and uh, I think Oppo, the Oppo Watch, launched in a lot of markets with eSIM functionality as well. Um, and, you know, in certain regions, we have carriers that are pretty reliably going to sort like feature these watches um eSIM watches so i'm expecting both more carriers to take it on if there's you know more manufacturers making it and um just yeah a, a greater selection of eSIM capable lte watches um and that's coming from samsung side helping google kind of build these relationships with partners and i guess also improving the experience of setup and using a a, a wear platform based watch because uh, it's not always the most seamless experience getting up and running mm. with these devices. Um, so that is the other thing I'm expecting is just like better and wider eSIM existence on smartwatches running on this platform. Mm. Uh, sorry, that, yeah, that's one of the things I was just going to mm. pick up on because obviously Samsung pushes this idea of its ecosystem quite heavily. I mean, everything working together, but um, having more more devices with the eSIM would help these watches to feel more like an independent device rather than being like so heavily reliant on the phone Absolutely. and having their own app to pair. So it feels like a logical next step, like we've seen with the Apple Watch that's able to actually still kind of work completely on its own and take calls and do everything. It seems like that would be the logical next step for Samsung to have kind of on the Android side to have something that can be equal to that in current terms of functionality. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think that the, the challenge is, is um, I mean, fundamentally the challenge is battery life 
mm. but that is what they're already trying to lay the groundwork for. So we'll see whether these do become more standalone beyond just being like, you know, fitness tracking without your phone or taking a yeah. call when you run to the shops without your phone. Mm. If they're pushing it and marketing it in this such a way that they're like, no, no, you can go a whole day, leave your phone at your desk, you know, and go out for lunch and not worry, like genuinely not worry. Um, yeah. Having yeah tested LTE watches in the past, the battery life is like it sinks like a stone if you try and do anything that actually requires those cellular radios beyond like getting a notification i tried streaming spotify on the old galaxy watch lte and i think in my commute home that was 40 percent of the battery which is not it was like a percent a minute if 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 not more right. it was pretty yeah. pretty dire so if they can make that more livable that'd be cool um i guess the other thing you touched on don was the fitbit relationship from mm. google side um, so, you know, at IO, Google, uh, Fitbit said they're going to be releasing some premium smartwatches running on this platform. Um, Samsung has already chatted about the fact that it's got great experience with using sensors on watches for, you know, fitness and well-being. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that relationship is, is going to be hugely important to the next range of these devices in terms of pushing better quality tracking um and maybe also reaching out to more partners and having better cross compatibility with like third-party apps you know we've already seen runkeeper and strava and those kind of brands are offering smartwatch experiences or syncing but more is always better in that regard so i wouldn't be surprised if they're working hard to build those relationships as well as improving how the hardware and the software work together to read fitness heart rate sleep tracking etc absolutely um, one of the big questions for me left really is just the timing from now on, because like I said, it seems fairly set that Samsung is going to unveil this Galaxy Watch hardware at the beginning of August, um, which only leaves us in a funny position because it only gives Google a month to reveal its side of the software. Uh, hmm. Otherwise, we're going to be in this slightly opposition where we're able to use it on a Samsung device and actually reviewers get their hands on Samsung watches running this software before Google ever talks about what the experience will be like on non-Samsung hardware. And maybe that is the way it's going to go. And we'll have to wait till sort of the September, October Pixel event or something before we really get Google filling out its half of the picture. Or maybe Fitbit will get that privilege uh, if Fitbit unveils unveils some new, some new smartwatch sometime in autumn, I don't know. But um, you would expect Google to want to reveal its side of it before Samsung actually releases its product. But who knows? We'll find out soon. Um, let's turn to the other announcement of MWC 2021. Uh, I'm sorry, TCL, but announcing US availability for a couple of phones does not really count. <laughs> um, Qualcomm, uh, amidst a slew of 5G and networking announcements, did reveal sort of one actual consumer tidbit. Uh, which was the Snapdragon 888 Plus. No great surprise. Uh, for the last few years, Qualcomm has done a sort of uh, mid-year refresh of its flagship chip, and it's happened once again this year. The only mild surprise is I think a lot of tipsters had, for some reason, gotten into their heads that this year it would be called the 888 Pro, and that it might be a shift in naming convention. It turns out not. They've stuck with Plus, just like they've done in previous years. Uh, unless it's going to turn out there's a, also a Pro on the way, and that's a whole other thing. But I would be surprised. So, Snapdragon 888 Plus. This is the new flagship flagship chipset for Android devices, basically. Uh, not a lot has changed, I'll be honest. Uh, these mid-cycle refreshes are always 
a little limited. There's not sort of huge changes in what they do. Even by those standards, this is thin on the ground in terms of changes. Uh, there are two changes to the chip. And when I say to the chip, the chip itself is, I think, exactly the same. But what's changed is just sort of the, the clock speeds they're, they're throwing in. Uh, but the only two things that have changed are the CPU and the AI processing section of, of the chip. Uh, the CPU has had, of its several cores, one core has been upclocked. Uh, the well the most important it is core. the core to be fair <laughs> you know I'm, I'm downplaying it a bit but yeah the the cortex x1 which is the prime core is the main driver uh, that's been upclocked but even though it's not by a lot it's gone from 2.84 gigahertz to 3 gigahertz now that's me being generous that's what qualcomm says qualcomm <laughs> says it's say. 3 gigahertz and then in small print they say asterisk asterisk Technically, it's 2.995 gigahertz, and they are rounding up, uh, but I'll allow it. Uh, but yes, yeah, so the, the so prime core in the CPU has been cranked up to just about 3 gigahertz. Um, I don't think this is going to be a radical change. Uh, it's noteworthy that Qualcomm actually doesn't then say this is a 10% performance increase or any number like that, which suggests to me that the percentage performance increase is probably fairly limited. Um, the best glimpse we have of that actually doesn't come from Qualcomm itself, but before the announcement, there had been one Geekbench 5 uh, leak of, of some scores, and that gave a multi-core score of 3704. Uh, that is actually within the range of Snapdragon 88 scores we've seen on Geekbench 5. Um, it's at the upper end of the range, but we have seen, I think I was checking the other day, at least two, maybe three phones we've tested have gotten higher multi-core scores than that in Geekbench 5. Uh, the Xiaomi Mi 11 Ultra, no, not the Mi 11 Ultra, sorry, the Asus ROG Phone 5 beat it. Um, and also the one that surprised me was the Vivo X60 Pro Plus, uh, which is actually the highest scoring we've ever tested. Um, it beat the ROG Phone 5 to its credit. Uh, but yeah, both of those uh, actually got slightly higher scores than this 888 plus in this leaked benchmark, to be fair. This is not an official benchmark. Um, benchmarks on everything. But basically, I think that just should give you an idea that this is obviously a performance increase on the 888, but it's not a generational jump. Um, Qualcomm isn't saying it's a generational jump to their credit, but you know, don't don't think you've got to like throw your 888 phone in the trash because it's worthless now. Uh, this is a very, very small clock speed jump. Um, Sounds more like um, an exercise in marketing more than anything, really. It's just like you, you can yeah, throw the bus on the motions, like, right? It's, it's faster, it's faster. Yeah. It's not faster. It's a lie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, well. the, the logic between the 865 and the 888 was like it was a bigger jump than normal, yes. right? So mm. does that mean they had less headroom to kind of leap into with the plus this year? They, they haven't been able to squeeze more out of it i I'm, I'm curious whether this is actually a good thing or whether it's just going to be a more demanding chip power wise but with minimal minimal it, performance it's absolutely a risk that we might just see yeah worse power efficiency higher battery drain but without any really appreciable um and maybe worse heating problems yeah. um but without yeah. appreciable performance improvements um it also you know you, you made the comment did they have enough headroom for this plus version we've also got to look they've taken recently to doing the um these sort of overclocked overclocked versions 
of of chips uh where you know the, the 865 got the 865 then the 865 plus and then the 870 which was all the same silicon you know is the 888 meant to get an 888 plus and then next year an 890 or something because again like you know where do they go now if, if they've struggled this much to eke out a little bit more for the plus version can they eke out anything else if they want to refresh this um next year as, as a more affordable chip um, it is worth flagging. We, we, I led with the, the, the more minimal of the two improvements, um, in fairness to Qualcomm. The other side is AI processing, where they have had a meaningful jump. Uh, they say they've had a 20% jump in uh, AI performance from the 888. Uh, the, the, the sort of headline number is it's gone from 26 tops, uh, tops being trillion operations per second or terror operations per second, uh, 26 tops in the 888 to 32 tops in the 888 plus and that's a 20% jump they say uh, that is AI stuff so that is that funny one where I think people don't think of that as much in terms of the day-to-day -day usage of their phone we're used to thinking about CPUs and GPUs and not so much how much an AI call matters it is still a bit opaque I think to uh, to consumers and also to some extent to us as journalists uh, you know, when I've when I've been to Qualcomm events in the past, they're trying to uh, talk to journalists about like AI benchmarking and trying to explain it and, and its importance from their perspective, I guess, because it is clearly the growth area for them. That's where they are still making these meaningful gains um, and they, they've got headroom to improve. And um, obviously, there's a lot of machine learning in our phones now. More and more of what our phones do is machine learning and AI driven. So maybe this will be a more meaningful boost um the flip side is it maybe doesn't kick in as much for the tasks that people wanting a high-end phone are thinking about like helping you play cod mobile better um i don't think the ai core, core is really the bottleneck in 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 a first person <laughs> shooter yeah maybe if there's an ai aimbot that someone can figure out to to sideload into the app then maybe we're in business but otherwise yeah <laughs> i think most times i hear the word like ai like associated with like the actual end user experience is things like ai scene selection color enhancement when yeah yeah exactly when snapping a picture yep. or something like a lot that of camera stuff um, the demo yeah the demo that qualcomm always likes to use is like image recognition mm -hmm. and image mm -hmm. like kind of sorting like tagging with kind of AI image recognition software images and how quickly it can do X number of images. Yeah. Um, I don't know if, you know, for example, in Google Photos, when it indexes things like that using uh, algorithms, whether that is on device or cloud-based, but if it's on device, then uh, that's another example where it would, it would I help. assume that's server-side, um, but I don't know. Yeah. But then saying that, I know that now lots of other third-party galleries from, you know, MyUI to... Uh, one UI on Samsung phones mm. also has these yes. sorts of features and I know they are happening on device. So maybe that's where it's going to have value. Well, you can snap a bunch of photos on a night out and by the next morning, they've already made like a slideshow and everything's indexed and all your friends are tagged yep. and it takes, you know, half the time or 20% more, 20% <laughs> faster, I guess, than yeah. it would have done otherwise. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is also worth saying I joked about the gaming side, but there are some... AI bits that go into rendering now, but I actually don't know on the phone side how how well they utilize the AI core bits. But I know that's a big yeah. part now of sort of more efficient rendering techniques is is, is stuff around the, the term for it has completely gone out of my head. Yeah, uh, yes, thank on you. The video side, yeah. Yep. 
Um, so it's lots of bit like that. Mm. They're all about kind of focusing how much rendering power goes into certain bits of the screen um, and which objects get rendered at high resolution and which at low resolution so that you kind of get technically less stuff is being rendered at high res, but it's the bits you're not looking at anyway, so you don't notice. And it means it can be more efficient and higher frame rate and, and, and the bits you're looking at look better. Uh, but I actually don't know on the phone end, I still feel like that's going to be mostly GPU driven. Um, and I don't know the extent yeah. to which they're figuring out how to leverage that machine learning power on the chip for those gaming applications. Um, so that's a bit of a question mark from my end, at least. Uh, is Where that would have made sense would have been back when phones were leaning harder on VR. Yes. And, you know, having foveated rendering or anything like that. But they, that's kind of died a death as a whole kind of passion from manufacturers, <laughs> you know, Google to Samsung. They've all kind of given up on their VR. What's Facebook say, yeah. bought? Can I say everyone thought, you know what, we can't compete anymore. Let's just give yep. up. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> well, I, Pretty much. To be fair, though, it's worth saying that these chips then do go into some of the standalone VR That's headsets. true, as the like, mm -hmm. XR2, I think, yeah, the was XR2 in, the, in the Go, Oculus yeah. Go, was it? Uh, in the Quest 2 as well. Yeah. Oh, in the Quest yeah. 2, right, there you go. And that's same underlying or similar underlying architecture to the the Snapdragon. Yeah, there's definitely the some time. shared yeah. some shared legwork There's overlap, right? It was so, around the same time as the eight six five plus. So I imagine that it, the two are comparable right. um, when they mm. came out. Yeah, yeah. So even if the eight eighty eight plus doesn't drive VR headsets itself, a lot of the the the, the architectural learnings of Qualcomm will will eventually filter through in, into VR applications anyway. Um, it is obviously worth talking about the phones that we will see this chip appear in rather than just the chip itself since no one buys one of them uh, as is typical for Qualcomm we have had a few announcements and confirmations from manufacturers already though nothing too concrete uh, Qualcomm says we'll get the first full handset reveals and announcements in Q3 uh, which is actually very soon because Q3 starts in July which is, you know, it's about to be July. In fact, I think by the time anyone's watching this, it will be July, uh, if I've got my dates right. Uh, so yep. July, August, and September is Q3. So from now on, all bets are off. Someone could unveil a Snapdragon 88 Plus phone any second. Uh, keep your eyes out. <laughs> what we do know is that Honor, Asus, Xiaomi, Vivo, and Motorola have all said they're going to use the chip. Uh, some of those announcements are more interesting than others. Uh, Xiaomi and Vivo are the two dull ones because all they've said is that they're going to put them in flagship phones and well duh it's a flagship chip of course it's going to go in a flagship mm -hmm. phone and those are two companies that make flagships it is not shocking that either of them would uh, churn out a flagship phone with the new flagship chip in Motorola is kind of an interesting one because yeah. they have skewed away from flagships for a while and they've been dipping their toe back in the water with the edge stuff but up until now correct me if I'm wrong Lewis the 870 is the most powerful they'd gone like they haven't used the 888 yeah. in a phone no nothing um so even you know it was it was headline news before when motorola said they was used an 8 series chip but they went and used last year's 8 series chip essentially um the sort of the rebranded version of last year's one so the fact that they're already there on that list of we are going to use this latest and greatest is an interesting move that is a sign that motorola is ready to throw in with like a proper flagship 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 um which is an interesting yeah it's a change of of tack for them um lewis you reviewed uh, an edge and you were a fan right yeah um it was the uh, yeah the edge from last year 
um, and then I reviewed, is it the G100, I think it's called? They rebranded it. It's the Edge yes, S in which China. Yes, which is, that's right. Thank you, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I reviewed the Edge when it was a proper kind of Edge phone. And I really liked it. Yeah, for the price. Um, it kind of, it undercut some of the rivals. The camera performance was really good. I just couldn't get on with the curved display itself. But I feel like that's just kind of a wider problem with curved displays rather than than their mm-hmm. implementation of it. But, I mean, apart from that, it was great. And, and the G100, I really liked as well. I wasn't expecting great things from it because it... I, it just looked a bit dull to me and the dock system kind of was a bit gimmicky uh before i had a look at it but then once i had a go it was actually really good the performance was top notch and you know you're not actually a lot of people aren't going to use the dock system but if you do need to use it yeah it's pretty good so no complaints from here so i'm really interested to see what they will do with with the top top level processor yeah whether they'll go back in with dex or whether they'll kind of lean into something else yeah um okay that's motorola down two more to go Asus, also interesting, only because of the wording of what they've said. Asus didn't just say they're going to use the 888 Plus. They said they're going to use it in the ROG phone, which is funny because we've had this year's ROG phone already. And Mm. that means probably they're going to do a rebranded version of the ROG phone 5 with the 888 Plus in. That isn't what they've said, but I'm reading between the lines here. I can't see what else is going to happen. Very unlikely that the ROG Phone 6 is going to use the 8088 Plus because by then we'll have the 898 or whatever the next Snapdragon flagship is. Um, so I can only assume that means we should expect latter half of this year a new updated ROG Phone 5 Plus or 5S or whatever they're going to call it. They that uses this chip, as far as I know, have they? they kind no, of the one ROG that's phone. definitely like Red Magic's yeah. vibe more yeah. than it is. Yeah. They have been pretty strictly annual with the ROG phones so far. And they haven't done mid, mid-year refreshes. Um, but yeah, this suggests that is going to happen um, and that we're going to see more frequent ROG phone launches, which is interesting. Um, and then the final one is Honor. Honor have also committed, and they are the only company to actually commit to a phone name in, in saying this. Honor has said that the Magic 3 is going to use the Snapdragon 888+. Plus. Uh, that is interesting, mostly because it's magic. So magic is the branding they use. They use it on as a bit higgledy piggledy in how they use the magic branding across their product range, because it's just what they call their laptops. They're called magic books, and it's called some of its um, headphones, magic earphones, and stuff. And it's just kind of thrown the name out. But it's actually and magic watch. Yeah, um, it's actually quite fussy with how it uses the word magic for phones, because it saves magic for its not flagships per se but it's experimental phones so the magic 2 was one that had a a slidey display so that the rear camera slid up from the body but it slid up manually rather than automatically Um, and it was at the time where people were trying to figure out how to do um, you know full screen displays and playing around with different camera formats for rear cameras and selfie cameras and everything and it was one of the first had this kind of moving camera unit um, quite a while ago uh, so the Magic 3 returning, or the, Ma- or the Magic brand returning in the Magic 3 is very interesting. This has been rumoured for a little while, and all the rumours say that the next Magic is going to be a foldable phone. So, you know, again, this is all, all Honor has said is Magic 3, and it will use the 888+. But if all the different sources of rumours come together in the right way, what that looks a lot like is, some point in the next three months, Honor is going to announce the Magic 3, and that the Magic 3 will probably be a foldable phone. And that what's interesting here is that it is clearly going to be a flagship foldable phone. 
um, and using their top tier chipset. Unlike, say, Samsung, where Samsung has the, the Z Flip, which has actually gone cheaper in processor, or Motorola with the Razer has gone a little more mid-range in processor to keep prices manageable. This feels like Honor is actually going all in with a fully flagship foldable phone, which is very bold considering their position in the market and, and where they are. Hmm. Um, as a reminder, Honor used to be part of Huawei. Huawei sold them. They're now releasing phones on their own Steam. That means they can now ship with Google. So hopefully this would also get to ship with Google and ship to the West. Uh, the caveat is they're still releasing phones that look a lot like they were designed together with Huawei. So that could mean really like getting into the speculation, but now it could mean if the Magic <laughs> 3 is a foldable and it is being announced in the next three months, it could fundamentally be Mate X2 hardware with a Snapdragon 8088 Plus in and Google services. Yes. And That's if what I've been it is, we never that got. will be the best foldable uh, phone in the world. Yeah. A Huawei foldable. Yeah. With Google services, it never really officially <laughs> yeah. happened, did it? So If that happened, then that's it. That would be the best foldable round. Yep. Obviously, we're waiting to see what the Z Fold yep. 3 is going to be. Everything we've seen so far looks very Lewis impressive. Is ready. But, I, you know, I, I reviewed the Matrix. <laughs> yeah, I got to play the Matrix 2. Absolutely lovely phone. Really, really beautiful. Lovely to use. Just limited by that software side. And if Honor mm. is fundamentally releasing broadly the same hardware, I would expect with a few you know caveats from the huawei version probably slightly different camera oh, yeah. spec and things but if it's broadly the same um with the snapdragon chipset that would be incredible uh, yeah, like i said big big load of speculation right there yeah. um <laughs> but, you know honor, honor has just said magic 3 8088 plus but you know we like to run I'm, with things, i'm rooting for it yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wanted to just uh, quickly circle back to, because you were saying at the start of that like list of five manufacturers that Xiaomi is not particularly exciting. And yes, it's absolutely expected to be on the list based on their previous behavior. Uh, one thing they did do with the original 888 was that they were the first big manufacturer to market with a phone with this chip in it in China it released before the turn of the yes. new year. Uh, so my money, if on any of these five, would be to get a phone to market first with an 888 Plus, it would be Xiaomi. That is true. So, um, yeah. very, very possible. What's interesting to note there is, I believe, at the time of the 8088 launch, Xiaomi and Qualcomm said Xiaomi will be the first to release a phone. Right. I might be wrong on that, but that's my memory, is that when they revealed the 8088, it was kind of also with this, here's the list of people making 8088 phones, Xiaomi's going to be first. That hasn't been said of any of the, the brands this time around. No one has been confirmed to be the first um so i don't know but yeah if you were betting on any of the five i think it would be a safe bet that xiaomi might be the first one to get something out mm. um if nothing else the sheer volume of phones they throw out i mean i was part of me <laughs> yeah. saying i think it's you know boring in a way to say xiaomi's going to use it is i wouldn't be surprised if they've used at least one of every qualcomm chip over the last two or three years because they put out so many phones across so many yeah. price points that I'd be actually kind of surprised if there were any Qualcomm phone chips they'd like omitted from their lineup entirely. I feel like they've probably used all of them in something. The number of chips that have kind of launched on Xiaomi phones in the last few years, like I think was it the, the Poco X3 and X3 NFC were the yes. first with the 732G. Yeah. I think the Mi 11 Lite 5G was the first 780 phone. Um, we knew about the chip first, but I think that might have been the first phone to market with that the chip The Poco X3 Pro so, was the first 860 phone as well there we go so, so yeah they clearly they have are. a very tight relationship um and certainly jambi's speed to market helps in that so yeah i wouldn't be surprised if, if we see they are 
the first to throw something out. Um, but yeah, we'll have to see. Um, like I said, announcements expected Q3, so over the next few months we'll start to see that. And realistically, those will be powering a lot of this kind of autumn generation of, of phone releases that we always see, these kind of second half of the year updates. Uh, a lot of manufacturers still kind of ignore these plus refreshes and just stick yeah. with the, the standard flagship chip. But we should see a fair few throw this in. Um, and certainly Asus doing it with an ROG Phone 5 is a good indicator that you should probably expect every gaming phone manufacturer to throw out an updated version of its gaming phone from this year with the plus yeah. model in because you have to have the latest <laughs> chipset in and this is really just asus finally shrugging and accepting that it's got to keep up with the joneses on that um because everyone else does it let's move on to uh, our final topic for the week which is windows 11 as i mentioned at the top of the show we are a little bit late on this i know because microsoft announced it during our episode last week um we were a bit hesitant about whether we even wanted to cover Windows 11 last week because we are a mobile show, we focus on mobile stuff, and Windows 11 connects to that, but it's not really a directly mobile topic, obviously. And then Microsoft went and dropped the bomb in their keynote that you will be able to use Android apps natively in Windows 11, which I don't think anyone was expecting. I think a lot of Windows 11 was very expected. It had been leaked heavily. We knew a lot of what yeah. was coming. Uh Android apps came as a surprise, I think, to everyone, certainly to me. Um, there are a few big interesting caveats to the way this is going to work. The biggest one, just to get out from the top of the gate, is this isn't a partnership with Google, and this isn't the Google Play Store on Windows. It is the Amazon App Store mm. on Windows. And that is A, odd, and B, potentially generates uh, a few problems that we're going to talk about as we go on. Uh, first, I want to kick it over to Aniron, who's been leading our Windows 11 coverage on the site. Um, again, because we're not really a so, you know Windows or a PC show, maybe Aniron, you could just give us a brief summary of what, what is Windows 11, when is it coming, what's the di what's what's the you know big picture of Windows 11, what's going on? Mm. Okay, yeah, I mean, so as you say, Windows 11, it's kind of quite a new idea most people weren't expecting that there's been talk of kind of this big it was codenamed sun valley this big kind of visual overhaul for windows for a kind of since late last year um and most people the general thing was it was going to be a windows 10 feature update and then since once microsoft announced this event for last week the speculation continued to grow and there was lots of hints being dropped by microsoft that it was going to be windows 11 um then we had the leaks build just a week before which kind of revealed a lot of the visual changes. Um, so there, there weren't a huge amount of surprises, but generally it's kind of like, um, it's kind of, they want to kind of modernize it to kind of simplify it a bit. They, they were going to release Windows 10X, which was going to be kind of a spin-off for dual screen devices, and it was going to be more simplified. So it seems they've kind of incorporated some of those elements into it. Um, so the main, main um, new features is kind of like there's, uh, a kind of completely new kind of taskbar, as you'll see uh, with like the icon centralized, and then there's a whole new start menu, uh, which is quite a different redesign, new kind of uh, action center notification things, um, quite a few new multitasking features. Um, but then, as I say, the one big surprise was the um, the native support for the Android apps. Yep. 
Um, it is before we get into that just quickly so when yeah. when does windows 11 arrive when when are people going to start getting it well so so the beta came out this week anyone can download it if they sign up to the windows insider program i've had a it doesn't have all the features i've kind of tested it out briefly um but it's got kind of the main visual changes you'll notice straight away that it is a new operating system they haven't revealed they've just kind of said the holiday season for when it will actually come to market most people, are, it's generally accepted that it'll probably be October in the usual slot that they will, um, that they usually release the Windows 10 feature updates. Yep. Um, and this is a free update, right? Like Windows 10 was, as long as your computer is deemed worthy. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's, it will be a free upgrade for all the eligible devices. The thing is, they have updated the hardware requirements and they've been, they haven't communicated it particularly well, so it's quite confusing. Um, so the general thing was like you had to have a second generation, like the CPU had to have a second generation, like TPM mm -hmm. version two of TPM, and most people were It wasn't clear whether their device would be supported, and there was a lot. Yeah. Of, there was they kind of had it like this. Um, they released this PC health check app that you could download to see if your device was compatible, and a lot of people were downloading that with relatively recent, relatively uh, recent devices. And they were being told that they wouldn't be able to get Windows 11. It turns out that you had to kind of go into the, the BIOS settings of your PC and kind of enable these settings for it to actually show up. Um, but yeah, so there's a lot, a lot, it's knocked a lot of kind of older hardware off. So it's, I think, um, it only supports up eighth generation and newer Intel chips and then AMD from the Ryzen 2000 series. Yeah. So it knocks off even, even a few of the older kind of Surface devices. Well, I think the amazing one there is unless I'm mistaken, the Surface Studio, which if you bought it at the time was around three and a half thousand dollars only yes. a few years ago, and that will not get the upgrade to Windows eleven Ooh. at the time of writing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was the that was the which... that was the Surface Studio two, and that's still okay. the latest yeah. one. That's still, yeah, still the latest uh, wow. that's that's got a Surface sting. Studio that has really I still so not one about my my 2015 gaming PC not getting it now. I feel a little bit no, better. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's like the opposite of Apple's yeah. approach, being able to, like, my 2015 MacBook Air is still getting updates. Like, that's that's crazy. Yeah, mm. it's an interesting move from from Microsoft. Um, though that they have at least promised um, another quite a few years more of support for Windows 10, right? I think it was 2025. Yeah, yes, it supports so that's kind of in, in line. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of in line with what we've seen for previous versions. So yeah. that's the 2025. Did and there will Could probably be another insight? feature update yeah. for Windows 10, but it'll be quite a minor one this year. Did we get any insight on why they went with Windows 11 rather than just calling it a feature update? Because it doesn't seem like it was so revolutionary or so game-changingly huge that it maybe justified the number change and Microsoft had previously gone on record and said... And as the last one. Ends it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, that, that's I, I wrote an opinion piece on the day of launch basically saying that, that why couldn't it have just been another Windows 10 feature update? I think part of it will be that they've kind of been pushing this new era, as in like they've they've started with the foldables. They've kind of they wanted to release to kind of modernize Windows without and almost to have a fresh start in the fact that Windows 10 has become there's kind of quite a few kind of legacy elements to it that have been ran around for many years. It's had quite a few bugs in recent years. They almost wanted this fresh start. So despite it looking and feeling quite similar, um, it kind of signals this new era that they are going to be... I don't know. It's kind of that they want to... 
they want to bring win make Windows kind of this modern go-to operating system that people actually enjoy to use rather than it just kind of being a tool or means to an end just to get stuff done, which what it is for a lot of people at the moment. Um, yeah, so the, the main, just moving on to the main kind of focus from a mobile point of view um, with the Android apps, it is limited to the Amazon App Store, although kind of when I was researching for today's show, I did find one of the Microsoft programmers on Twitter has confirmed that um, it will support kind of like Android that you can download APK files and then run them, and then you will be able to yep. um, add your own apps that way. So, um, yeah, that's sideloading, if, if anyone's side sort of familiar yeah. with that term. So you, you'll be able to sideload apps, which is just kind of... Man it's, essentially, what they're doing is building the Amazon App Store into the Windows storefront that's built into the OS. Yeah. Um, if you use Windows, you have probably never installed an app through the Windows storefront because no <laughs> one does. And what you've actually done no is does. gone online and downloaded the .exe and installed your software like that. It essentially means the same will be true for Android. You can go into the Windows storefront and then it will send you to the Amazon App Store to install the app. Or you can just go online and Google, you know, the APK file for an Android app and install it manually that way. Um, we don't really know how that will work, though. I suspect it will... Microsoft has been very vague about how the siloing works and I'm sure it will not be as simple as double-clicking on an APK and, bam, the app installs. Um, expect headaches. The, there's also the whole conversation, which you know, it, it kind of retreads the Huawei issue, which is yes. GMS. I was, yeah, we were waiting for that one to come up. <laughs> right? Was that is that everyone's thinking this? Right? Like, yeah. So this is the big headache. So the the Amazon App Store is not the Google Play Store, uh, just like Huawei App Gallery is not the Google Play Store, and so you don't get Google Play services when when that's your storefront, um, and. This is one of the reasons Amazon's Fire tablets are, are limited in a way, because you can only install stuff from the Amazon App Store directly. And then essentially the apps that are on there have been retooled to work without Google Play services. Um, it's in some way or other, though, some of them lack some features in order to make that work. But that does mean you've got a much smaller selection of apps. And that then if you do sideload stuff, it's not guaranteed to work. And like Toddy says, this is exactly where we're at with Huawei products that you've got a limited pool of apps in the app gallery, and then you can get hold of other apps through other means. But, you know, it's, it's a coin toss whether it's going to work right or not. I mean, there is the one simple fix for all of these issues, and that is just to download BlueStacks and just use the app that's already available to run all Android apps on your Windows PC. Like, there are there, which has existed for a while, yeah, It's right? been around as for a, years as, a, as, as a, a, a workaround. Yeah. I guess the benefit, the benefit here is how much it really matters but these are running natively in windows yeah. rather than emulated so there will be at the very least you'd expect some performance benefits doing that versus running it through through something that's that's emulating the environment like that but then for most android like most of the reasons someone's going to use an android app on their computer you're probably not looking for like top tier performance unless you're like actively <laughs> trying to play a mobile FPS mobile? on Call your computer <laughs> so you can gank people with a mouse and keyboard setup while they're fumbling Cheating. around with a touchscreen. Uh, <laughs> beyond that, I don't really the need why. Niche. I don't know why you'd need to like eke out every little every little frame out of your PC. Um, but it does. It does. I mean, on the beta, it doesn't have. So there'll be a redesigned Microsoft Store, and that will be with the Amazon App Store. It's not on the beta that you're able to download mm. at the moment. So I haven't kind of been 
but I get the impression that it will be kind of like you'll be able to pin apps to the taskbar. You'll be able to use the new multitasking features yep. they put in Windows 11. Because that's um, really how it works on macOS, isn't it? It's like um, if if the developer has chosen that it can run on the M1 Mac, uh, um, it will just work just like any other app, and it will be a part of your application menus and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so... that that is really the, the the killer thing here. Is yeah, like Apple has integrated that, they will be treated just like Windows apps, um, and and you can open them directly without going through something else and. Um, yeah, you get all the same shortcuts you would for another app. They should even appear in like your, the same uh, program list for uninstalling yeah. and and things like that. You know, to to you the user, it will look a lot a lot like a standard Windows app. Um, it's only behind the scenes that anything is working differently, basically. So there's a huge convenience gain versus using using BlueStacks or something. Hmm. I will I will say it uses like um, Intel Bridge technology. To kind of translate it and make it usable on this desktop form, but it will still work on devices powered by like AMD or ARM-based PCs as well, which is kind of going to um, seem to be increasing popularity. So this, yeah. it will still work across all Windows it, 11 devices. It would have been an amazing kick in the teeth if ARM laptops couldn't run the Android apps that were originally built to run on ARM devices, but then couldn't run on ARM Windows. Um, but yeah, that was one of the big question marks after the launch. I think that has been resolved since is Microsoft very proudly said it partnered with Intel and was using this Intel bridge technology. And then everyone said, well, okay, hang on. What if my PC is not Intel? Um, but yes, every, it will work on, on other CPUs, um, uh, both, both ARM and AMD. Uh, so it, it, I mean, it certainly sounds like they're trying to make it very smooth. Um, and as I said, although they're using the Amazon App Store and that's a little odd, it is built into the Windows App Store. So if you're happy to get your apps from that method anyway, um, it looks like it'll be painless. We haven't seen the full experience because the screenshots Microsoft has given show a button that says, instead of like get app, it says get app from Amazon App Store. So it certainly looks like the Windows Store is going to redirect you into an Amazon it's, Storefront. It, it's kind of like Petal Search in the App Gallery. Yeah. Yes. It's kind of just pointing to like I just searched Google on the app on the app gallery and the first three links are the only apps relevant which aren't Google rela- related at all and they're on app gallery and then everything else is just there's a disclaimer that says you know this is being pulled from the internet somewhere else we don't know exactly what the source is yeah and you can't that's what you want to read you know, when you're downloading <laughs> something isn't it <laughs> yeah the sure. difference for Petal is it's, it's essentially giving you links to just APK downloads yeah. from from yeah. the internet whereas this will be sending you to the Amazon App Store. Um, but yeah, it's only a matter of time sure. before someone essentially sets up an app for Windows that is doing what Petal Search does, which is just a clean search tool for APK files to install them. I'm sure people will start figuring out how to do that. Um, and the other really big question mark is whether it will be possible to get Google Play services in through sideloading stuff. Because that used to be doable on Android. If you bought a Chinese phone that didn't ship with Google you were able to sideload Google onto it. Um, even with the Huawei devices, that was possible for a bit. And then kind of both sides clamped down and it, it, it became impossible to do that. But that was a choice that was made to make it harder to get Google onto those phones. Um, so I think it is very possible that we will see people who are tech savvy figuring out how to get the full Google experience going on Windows. It's just not the people who are not tech savvy, the people who just want to be able to quickly install WhatsApp or whatever as, as a mobile app on their Windows or, or, or Candy Crush or whatever the hell, 
um, for those people, they'll be limited to what the Amazon App Store offers. And if you're not tech-savvy enough to start messing about with APKs and sideloading, then you will feel a bit constrained, I think. And I think some people will be... It worries me just because it feels like a great way to invite frustration. If people are told, you can have Android apps on Windows, and they say, great, I've got App X on my phone. I want that on my PC. And then they just go and they're like, it's not there. I can't do that. This doesn't work. Microsoft sucks. I should buy a Mac. It just works on Mac. You know? And then you've got the thing about paid apps as well. So obviously, if you put, if you bought an app mm. on Google Play Store, you might then have to pay for it again on the Amazon App Store if it's, you know, if it's a paid app. Yes, exactly. Uh, which is part of the headache of it not all being through Google, that, that ownership won't carry over. So yeah, anything you've paid for presumably will not be able to carry through. Um, people have also raised concerns that this will make app piracy much easier, sort of the inverse thing, that on Windows mm. it will be easier to freely download paid apps than it is on, on phones where um, I don't even know if you can. I imagine there are ways to do it, but it must be a nightmare to do, but I'm not really sure. I've never tried. Um, but I feel like Windows would probably give you more tools to start circumventing um, things like that. Um, One other tiny little thing they did touch on, which is kind of mobile adjacent, uh, if you consider Surface tablets sort of, you know, tablets, mm. uh, <laughs> is the they did have a little bit of a conversation about window management and, and interaction yeah. using touch on Windows, which has always been iffy. And it has gotten better. Windows 10 is way better than it used to be with touch interaction and typing and stuff, but that was nice to see that they haven't forgotten about that, I guess. Mm, yeah, because they, obviously they, on Windows 10, they have this the separate tablet mode, which kind of has the kind of live tile, Windows 8 style experience, but it's never really felt optimized, never really felt, it's always felt like kind of a bit of an afterthought to yeah. the main desktop, but now they, they aren't, there is no tablet mode and they're going to try and make it integrate touch and these other, and voice typing and pen input and make it all kind of work well within the same, operating system which is much better because switching yeah. between tablet mode and desktop mode has always been the clunkiest most awkward bit of yeah. the like windows two-in-one convertible experience every time you sort of move it around and it kind of goes oh did you want to be on a tablet mode and i'm like no i was just like adjusting my display or something um please no no <laughs> Uh, a little bit tedious. Uh, it, it also will be interesting for those devices because suddenly throwing Android apps on them makes them way more compelling. Um, and then they already, you know, were fairly. And certainly, if you compare them to the, we've complained before about the state of the Android tablet market. It's you know limited, to put it kindly. Um, but if suddenly those Windows tablets and those Windows two in ones also run a suite of Android apps, then there's no reason to buy an Android version because. The, you, the Windows version gives you the best of both worlds and makes yeah. it really feel like a compelling rival to Apple. And I have to wonder if that is why Google isn't involved in this or or what, because you can be sure if Microsoft went and partnered with Amazon to build the App Store in and made this big deal with Amazon, you know, not to slight Amazon, but surely that's because Google mm -hmm. turned them down. Yeah, 100%. Right? You know, they, they, must, they must have first gone to Google and said, let's build the Play Store into the Microsoft Store. And Google said no. Um, no, no. And we then they were like, well, who's, what's the second best Android <laughs> app store? Um, you know, it's either Amazon or Huawei and they'll get, you know. I was about to say, just think, imagine Amazon turned them down. They would have had Huawei's on there. <laughs> <laughs> the the politics crazy, of that would have been craziness. interesting. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm interested in the question of, of why Google wasn't interested in this um, and, and what they thought they had to lose by partnering with that. Because it, it, other than the Android tablet thing, 
um, where, where I can see it limiting the appeal of an Android tablet. It does feel mm. like a, it would be a win for both sides because it cements Android better. It, it builds in this idea that Android plus Windows is a rival to iOS plus macOS. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's also maybe the fact that they feel it would limit the appeal of Chrome, uh, Chrome OS. I mean, you know that they, you've been able to run Android apps on Chrome OS for a while and Chromebooks. Yeah. And it's part of the appeal of Chromebooks is their laptops that also run Android apps. Maybe mm -hmm. Google felt it, it, that was kind of a key part of their USP for those and they didn't want to dent that too much. I mean, that would um, be a fair, fair point to take. Yeah. Because they would kind of blow them out of the water and they're like, well, we can do this and the full Windows 10 experience as well. What do you need a Chromebook for? But I mean, to bring it back. Yeah. To the start of the show, Samsung would have made a lot of sense because they already have a partnership. Like you already see Samsung phones when you walk into a Microsoft store, like the physical stores. Yes. And Samsung already has Windows laptops. I mean, yes, it also has Chromebooks, but uh, and they already have the Galaxy App Store, which I know no one really uses, but it's it there. does exist. <laughs> I don't actually. So that relationship yeah. makes kind of more sense to me almost than Amazon. I don't know how the Galaxy Store compares to Amazon, though. Probably terrible. especially because the Galaxy Store is a funny one because it is built for phones that have Google Play as well, and so apps in the Galaxy Store yes. can be Google Play services integrated because the phone yeah. they run on will have Google Play services. Whereas the key thing for an Amazon device is that it will not have Google Play services, so every app in the Amazon Store will be built to run without that, um, one way or another, which is kind of the key point here. If they're not, if they don't have Google involved. So I, I do I I want to I suspect that might have been one of the reasons Samsung wouldn't work for them. Fair. But I don't know. Um, yeah, just just a yeah, just a quick point because obviously until now, pretty much Samsung phones and I think the Surface Duo were the only ones that could actually really run Android apps at all through kind of the your phone companion app. It's kind of like a mirroring thing. Mm. Um, so the fact that, that yeah, it would have it would it was the most obvious partnership to expand but it just wouldn't wouldn't have really worked in terms of what the end user would yeah i just be able it, to access and yeah, how it would work exactly it doesn't get around that big challenge which is how does google play services fit in and just the moment mm. google presumably said no to them behind the scenes that just hit that huge roadblock in this and and amazon's really the only way around it um, We'd love to have been a fly in the wall on that conversation where Google yeah. were like, do you know what? No, we don't, yeah, we don't we're need all right. you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it'll come out one day and I'm very interested to, uh, to, to find out what comes out of that. Anyway, that will do us for this week. Thank you to everyone who has been watching and listening. We will be back next Thursday as usual. I expect we should be broadcasting live again next week for those of you on YouTube. Uh, sorry if you've missed the chance to interrupt us with chat messages while we talk, but you'll get to again, I promise. Uh, I do not know what exciting tech is going to come out in the next seven days off the top of my head, but we'll all find out together and go through it next week on Fast Charge. Uh, thank you all, and see you all next week. Bye.